The views expressed on the patient's perspective come directly from patients, so they are not intended to diagnose, treat, or replace professional medical advice. Information coming from the patient's perspective is for entertainment and educational purposes only, so if you have any health concerns regarding yourself or anyone else, please see a physician. The Patient's Perspective is a podcast created by patients for patients and does not focus on any specific disease or condition. Content may make you laugh, cry, and question your moral beliefs surrounding healthcare and the many issues patients run into while in the system. Finally, the most important point of view is cast into the light. The Patient's Perspective. On today's episode of The Patient's Perspective, a random drop. I interview my own mother, who at age 33 developed systemic lupus erythema, erythematosis. She's already correcting me. Anyways, just say, just. So We're not going to edit this out, Mom, because this is funny. Okay. You're actually going to find out, listeners, how, how similar we actually are. Okay. So. okay, just say systemic lupus. Yeah, and she is a science teacher, you all. So this is going to be, she'll correct me at every point that she can. <laughs> all right, so I'm interviewing my mother and her, um, this is her story about how she was diagnosed with lupus. However, it also is my birth story because she was... Um, very sick when pregnant with me and didn't they didn't know she had lupus until she had her second pregnancy which was with me so i guess i'm going to welcome you mom so (laughs) (laughs) um so and that's why like today also my voice might sound different because i'm not wearing my headset i don't have a proper microphone or anything to interview um when people are actually present in the room yet so um you know we're just going to do what we can with this and I guess edit it later. <laughs> so obviously you had had my sister first and we don't need to say her name. We try to keep names out of it. Yeah. So even names of doctors, we yeah. try to keep yeah. out. Um, and then obviously at, was it 32 that you were pregnant with me or 33? Uh, well, 33. Okay. So then how did you end up like, I, I know, like, when did you first, I think I know when you first got sick or when you were noticing symptoms but you had symptoms for throughout your life you realized afterwards um I probably developed it if I look back when I was around 14 I'm pretty sure I had it but not knowing what it was um I just let things go and they were kind of symptoms that came and went uh, I get very tired sometimes. A couple of times I'd be anemic. I'd go to the doctor and that's what they would find, but they never had a cause. Um, when I started teaching at the age of 22, I broke out in a rash uh, that was apparently rarely occurs in lupus, but it does. It's erythema multiforme. 
Um, and that's but, interesting. I'll just interrupt you there because that's interesting because that is actually quite commonly found in progesterone allergy. That's <laughs> actually okay, one of the skin is, rashes yeah, yeah. that come up is erythema okay. multiforme. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I, I developed a skin rash. Uh, it was very bad the first time. Uh, the doctor who looked at me, because remember now, this is in the 1970s, uh, said, Basically, if it goes below the knee, then it's related to an autoimmune disease. But my, none of mine went, none of my sores went below the knee. So they just thought it was something they came for whatever reason, they didn't know. It came and went for about three or four years over usually in the fall. And then that was it. Um, it wasn't until I got pregnant with Kyla Oh, you can say my okay, name. I'm right. I'm not okay. I'm just covered it up. I wish we had video. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it wasn't until I got pregnant with her that within the first month, I was getting sick. And the obstetrician that I had was good at obstetrics, but at nothing else, which is unfortunate. Because by the time I was hospitalized the first time in March of that, that year, and I had been pregnant probably since December, um, I had, uh, I was coughing up blood. I was very, very tired. Um, I just, I could barely survive. I could barely exist, walk around and exist. I had facial swelling and so on. I came out from the first hospitalization in March and within about a week or so, I was back in. And this time he did call in some specialists. He called in a, a kidney specialist, an internal medicine specialist first, who immediately called over to uh, the university hospital here and got a kidney specialist in because little did I know my kidneys were failing. The night before the kidney specialist came in, I had what uh, was called, when I finally talked to a pastor about it, was actually a near-death experience. Um, it was in the middle of the night and I woke up and I saw a light and a green valley. And I knew I wanted to go lay down in there to rest. But, um, I didn't, I also knew I didn't want to stay and I could feel myself drifting toward it. And then I would pull myself back. And in my mind, I'd say, this is crazy. And then I'd feel myself drifting toward it again. And finally, I don't know if it was a minute or an hour, but it finally did disappear. The next morning, the kidney specialist came in. He asked me some questions. And one of them was, how was I feeling? And I said, it's really weird, but I feel like everything is dying inside. And then little did I know that's exactly what was happening. He immediately transferred me to the university hospital. And then the test started. And it was 24 hours a day they were testing because I was, Unfortunately, a difficult case to diagnose. 
My anti-nuclear antibodies did not go positive until I was within 24 hours of dying. Yeah, they had already called in the priest, had they not? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. they had come in. So uh, before somebody passed away, I don't know if they still do it, but they call to give, uh, priest, the priest comes in and gives you your last rites, correct? Yeah. 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 So um, now, I mean, when did, I won't say his name, but the doctor who now has his own lab, which is world renowned now for mm-hmm. autoimmune disease in general. Often my lab, my results yeah. were going to his yeah. lab, the guy that actually helped with my, my mom's pregnancy and my birth. And, yeah. and he's part, part of the reason why I'm alive. Uh, he now has a lab and it's world renowned, uh, particularly for lupus, but for all sorts of autoimmune diseases. Um, now, you also had uh, inflammation in your brain, right? I, I had basically everything. <clears throat> I had inflammation of the heart. Um, I had no platelets or clotting factors in the blood. I had kidney function was less than 10%. Liver function was less than 10%. I had probably five or six different rashes covering my entire body, except the soles of my uh, feet and the palms of my hands. I had inflammation of the brain. But you didn't have the regular lupus rash until your test no, went positive. No, I did not. That was I odd. had all yeah. these odd things, and uh, but none of them were the butterfly rash. Mm-hmm. The butterfly rash showed up after they diagnosed me. Mm-hmm. And it actually, there was about two days one, one to two days of solid blood testing blood, like where they would come and take 24 tubes at a time and uh, see what they could do. When they finally came in with a probable diagnosis of lupus, and in fact, they were in, the, um, in my hospital room telling me about this probable diagnosis when the lab technician came rushing up and basically said it's positive. And they had a positive ANA test. And then it didn't stay positive for very long either. No, with no. with mine, which is kind of interesting, generally once you go positive with lupus, ANA, it stays positive. It remains in your blood. With mine, once all the treatments had started and was working, and at the end of, you know, when I was released and so on, and after Kyla was born, my ANA went negative. And as my kidney specialist said to me, if we tested you now, there is no way we could tell you had lupus. Mm-hmm. No, we know you have it. Yeah. And that was when I met the immunodermatologist when I first showed her my pictures. Her first inkling was that it was lupus. And that's why I had asked for a lupus specialist several times and had seen a uh, specialist that was an internist who specialized in lupus. Uh, but she was the one that then directed me to a dermatologist after she, I remember her stopping mm-hmm. when I told her that my attacks mostly occurred with my period and she suddenly dead stopped. And she said, and she says, I think I know what you have, but I'm not a specialist for it. And I said, well, who is? And she's like a dermatologist. And I was like, what the hell? I'm telling you, I, I almost died from, from stomach issues. What does this have to do with my skin? I was like, <laughs> I was like what the hell? You know, but, but um, uh, so, I mean, yours was quite abnormal, but yes. also, I mean, tests 
to the listeners out there have improved since then. And that's what the doctors were telling me when I was, because I would always bring up my mother's case and be like, this is what happened to my mother. They didn't know what was going on, but they said, well, the tests obviously have improved since 1981, right. you know. Um, now, I've already told the listeners in a previous podcast that you you overheard them, I think, that there was only about a 1% chance that I was going yes. to make it. Yeah, um, they gave me a choice. Um, whether to have an abortion or not. At that time, you had to have a hospital committee meet, hmm. a committee of doctors, and determine, because the only reason for abortion at that time was um, to save a mother's life, basically. And uh, they came in and asked if I wanted it, and I thought about it and said, no, unless it is the absolute last thing you can do for me. Hmm. And so, I had all the treatments, which was plasmapheresis, very, very high doses of prednisone. In fact, I and Imuran, and that's why Imuran, I've already talked yes. about the fact that I had to see geneticists when I was older, when I was yeah. struggling in school, <clears throat> um, which then led me to the neuropsychologist, um, and um, which that was a appointment I'm not too happy about, which Candace and I have touched on in an episode that hasn't wrapped yet, oh, okay. <laughs> but. Um, so, but it was, they felt it was due to the high doses because you were worried about steroids, but it was actually the Imuran because Imuran actually wasn't really out yet. Imuran was still <clears throat> considered experimental at the time I was given it. I'm an experiment. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't come out to good results, I can tell you. <laughs> so, so Imuran and you were on high doses too. Yeah, uh, right. yes, I was on very high doses of prednisone, 120 milligrams I was started on when a high dose is considered 50. Yeah, and they so had to bring in space high. food for you, did they not? Or dehydrated well, food to get because, calories? Because I had lost so much weight, uh, I was supposed to eat constantly. And in between all the regular meals and snacks and everything else they had, they gave me packets of um dehydrated space meals kind of thing where you would hydrate them and drink it like a milkshake kind of thing. Um, the most I ate, in fact, the dietitian couldn't believe it. One day in one 24 hour period, I ate 12,000 calories. And you were still though, well, how much did you weigh? I weighed about 90 pounds. Yeah. It was 90 time. pounds. Even, yeah. Even pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. I was released from the hospital just weighing a hundred. And by the time I was um, to deliver Kyla, I was up to 120, which I'm five, eight and 120 was my normal weight before pregnancy. Yeah. Now you also had drug induced psychosis. Yes, yeah. I did from the prednisone. Yeah. And that along with inflammation of the brain. So I saw all kinds of weird and wonderful, not so wonderful <laughs> things. Um, and I finally, I was fighting it. And then I finally thought, you know, people pay good money on the street for this. I may as well just lay back and enjoy it and not fight what I'm Now You had seeing. one where you thought that it was dad or somebody was creeping outside your yes. door. Like those cartoon characters where it's like, do, 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 do. Yeah. Yeah, and that's when she passed. Yeah, yeah. passed the door. I yeah. had another one where I thought 
I could see my brain opened up and I thought if I can just make the pathways go backwards, I could see all the little pathways flashing. If I could make it go backwards, I could heal myself. Mm -hmm. And so I worked at doing that. Um, I had another one where I saw myself dancing at the end of the bed. We're trying to share the microphone. (laughs) Dancing at the end of the bed and uh, just having a great old time. And apparently, and I don't remember this at all, but my father-in-law came in to see me and I told him to get out of my room because it was my 19th birthday and I didn't want any old fogies in here. (laughs) (laughs) She also thought, didn't you think that I was like the, no, I was like the coming of Christ. I did. I thought I was carrying the second coming of Christ. (laughs) And I would pick the people that I liked as they came into my room, whether they were doctors, nurses, cleaning staff, And I would think, okay, I like you, so I'm going to have the baby save you, but not you, but you can be saved. And I was really quite off the wall. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is why we laugh at it now, but I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it wouldn't have been been funny at the time. And then you were worried about what that went, like, if that's what you were seeing, what what the the, hell was I seeing? What was the baby seeing? Like, what what would happen to the baby? Yeah, exactly. And uh, because obviously she was getting the same dose I was getting. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, it depends on how it's, um, how it's uh, administered. It was not administered, but how the body processes yeah, it, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but it still goes into the umbilical. Yeah. Through the umbilical cord. And then what about my birth? So I said, we always talk about the story of, of that one lady getting well, yeah, her. in the, because I was such a high risk, there was a special unit at the hospital I was at. It had three doctors. They only took very, very select cases that they followed through from beginning of pregnancy to end. And I was one of them. Most of them, they would, the mothers would come and they would look at them and just fix the problem and then send them back to the regular obstetrician. But I was kept at the, under their care and um, what, what did you ask me now? I've gone, gone through my... Oh, the lady that got pushed out of the operating Oh, right. Room. Yeah. At any rate. So I had gone in. I had to go in twice a week for testing and for testing on the baby to see if her heart rate and so on was okay. And the one day I went in and it was not good. And they said, okay, come back in two hours. I came back in two hours. They tried again. They said, go home and get your bag. We're putting you in. And that was it. So I went into the hospital. They were trying to wait for um, a a test result to know if the baby's lungs were fully developed. But they determined that it was, they brought the monitor in and they decided, no, this was not good. And they had to do an emergency cesarean. They loaded me into a wheelchair they were running down the hall, turned into where and don't the del- say the name of the doctor. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> turned into where the delivery rooms were, and there was a lady laying on a stretcher, and she was just being pushed into one of the delivery rooms. She was halfway in. They ran up to the desk. They said, uh, "We have a cesarean here." The nurse at the desk said she'll have to wait. 
She said, no, it's Dr. So-and-so's. And all of a sudden, this poor woman on the stretcher came flying out of the room back <laughs> into the hall and they shoved me in and did the cesarean. And Kyla came out a little two pound, seven ounce baby and was rushed into the nursery. But she was one of the toughest ones in there. <laughs> she did very well. That's traveled throughout my yeah. entire life. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, in fact, at that time, um, she was a few weeks old. And there was another lady who had delivered, I believe it was quintuplets in the hospital and they were very sick and they had to pick because the neonatal ward was full then they had to pick one baby who could leave and go to a less intensive care kind of neonatal ward and Kyla was the one they picked because she was in the best shape of all of them <laughs> so and um what was I gonna say here also we featured in a movie Yes. About lupus. Yes. Right. So what was that? Well, it was, a, it was a documentary that the Lupus Association in the city where I live produced. And it was a, a film for lupus patients to show that it's not a death sentence necessarily, if you get it. And back then it quite was. It was. Yeah, at it that was. time, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. At that time, it could have been. Now, not so much anymore. Um, we say it's the one time dad ever changed a diaper was one. Well, yeah, there was a, a there was a picture of, <laughs> you know, they were interviewing everybody in the family and my husband um, changed Kyla's diaper. And I think that was the one and only diaper he ever changed on either of the girls. <laughs> it was just part of the movies. <laughs> but we took the film down to... Um, uh, Dallas, Texas, there was a uh, medical convention down there and it was presented at the medical convention and so on. So, and then we were in the newspaper while you were. Um, no, you had, I, I don't. You had a, mama, you oh, said, oh, well, no, you I had said, a paper clipping of you. They talked about my birth and stuff like that. Oh, you have your okay, dark, yeah. sharp, short hair. Okay, well, yeah, I can't remember that. <laughs> there was so much that went on. It's from the Calgary Herald. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so, but that's the story of Kyla's burst. And then when afterwards, you've only had maybe one other lupus flare-up, correct? Yes. Um, in that way, I'm lucky. I've had a number of friends who were always, they, they never got close to death, but they were always um, had something like pain and you or, never had any arthritis either which no. is admirable and then you're you're i already told i hope we don't mind that i already said this but yeah, that you um your liver was also failing during the lupus flare-up yes. which is actually like that's that's not a part of lupus normally it's very rare to have happen in lupus now interestingly enough i have now been diagnosed with a liver condition primary biliary cholingus they, they've changed the name oh, Okay, it was cirrhosis, but they changed it to cholingus now. When did that happen? Uh, I don't know, about a year, a couple of years ago, oh, okay. something like that. <clears throat> I haven't come up. But it's also an autoimmune disease. And interestingly enough, when they were testing my blood samples many, many years ago at this lab that Kyla was talking about, they found it um, in conjunction with some other antibodies 
that they had seen before, but never with the person with lupus. And it turns out that those antibodies are specific to primary biliary cholingus. Now, we talk quite a bit about gut health on the podcast, just in terms of the fact that it's obviously not a cure for things, but that it's helped. You started doing, once we once the kids and I went to that allergist, you started taking some of what he was saying. Right. And didn't your blood work for your liver change? Um, what happened, they, they did an inflammation test and my inflammation was uh, extremely good. It was on the very low side of normal. No, but it had been worse but before. It had been much, yeah. yeah and he had asked you the, yeah. what you were doing. Yes. And there was also another, another test and I'm just trying to think of what it was, but it had always been running a little high. And that had gone to normal as well. Yeah. So, and I had basically reduced gluten and uh, was just being careful. Yeah. I mean, I've already told everyone like a little bit about the family history, like there's celiac yes. uh, on your side. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's yeah. reasonable to assume that there's some type of wheat sensitivity, whether right. not it's celiac or not, yeah. but some sort of sensitivity within the family. Yeah. Right. Even though I've been tested for celiac and uh, they've done the very definitive testing for it, uh, there's no sign of it. Yeah, I don't have it. Did they actually go like do your intestines? No. That's See, we haven't had that done, but um, no, yeah. they definitely said there's, there's I, yeah, don't I, have but the, I don't even have the gene, like eight and two is not there. Yeah. So I don't have so, DQ eight yeah. and two. Yeah, I don't. So I don't have any, any sign that I've gotten. So if you have any recommendations for women out there or men because and, and i also talk about the fact that um women are diagnosed more often but we've all kind of noticed a pattern that um when men are sick with it they are more sick more sick yeah quite sick. yeah yeah and women are diagnosed um, more often because they think it's tied to hormones mm. you know that has a fat is a factor in it um now you were asking if there's any yeah is there any advice you can give to people after going through what you went through because i mean yours was quite I, severe yeah but i, I mean it was also in the 80s but yeah yeah i think what you have to do is just keep a positive attitude you have to decide yourself i mean you listen to what the doctors say and decide yourself what you can do and um, just try to live your best life that's all you can do and trying the positive attitude is everything. If you get down on it, if you're upset about it, if you um, are very negative about it, it will just drag you down and it doesn't help you. You have to stay positive. And that's the one thing I noticed when they came in and told me once I was diagnosed, they said, you have a 75% chance of living I never even thought about the other 25 because I knew I was going to make it into the 75% who survived. All right. I think we're going to end there. Oh, so okay. unless you got anything else, you think no, that's, that's about that's it. Good. Yeah, that's about okay. It. Okay. Nice talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So thanks everyone for listening and we hope you all you have a wonderful day. I'm so happy you were able to join in and listen to us today. If you have an episode idea or would like to share your story, 
please email me at info at thepatientsperspective.com or join our Facebook page under the same name. From all of us who are working hard bringing patient issues to light, thank you for tuning in and supporting The Patient's Perspective.